0: Hello everyone, I'm Roy Matur, an author and podcaster, and you're listening to Captain Roy's Rusty Rocket radio show, The UK Geek Science Fiction, Fantasy and Horror Podcast, episode 519, taped on Monday the 15th of January 2024 at 2355 20. Yes, hello again. We are back. It has been more than two months since we have done a classic Doctor Who revisit. Although there have been other episodes in the interim, but it is nice to be back to doing my revisit. And also, tonight is a historic occasion for the revisit. Since starting back in 2014, this is the first episode of Classic Who that I watched on iPlayer's spanking new universe and not my Raspberry Pi set-top Vox. That's quite nice, watching it on normal television not having to faff around with files and stuff. Yeah, I quite enjoyed that. Although I don't know what's happening because my other set-top box through which I access normal television, Roku, is getting slow. Or the BBC iPlayer app is just getting a bit more bloated. But... Fast-forwarding and rewinding is a bit stuttery. Oh, well. I did promise on Twitter that, as well as some other stuff, like a medieval feast or a roast dinner, I suppose, a really big extravagant roast dinner, and an excessively racist ballad, we'll get onto that later, this episode of The Revisit would be accompanied by tea and crumpets. On my side, not in Doctor Who, I'd have tea and crumpets and enjoy those. That will have to wait, unfortunately, as I am smothered in ibuprofen gel. Oh, I always have trouble saying that word. Also, nectoparacetamol paracetamol earlier on. And also a pro plus to keep me awake this late. I was about to cancel doing the show tonight because I just wasn't feeling that great. Had a very busy day getting back to doing the show notes for the podcast and had an appointment earlier today as well. It all saps it out of you. But at the last moment, I felt a bit re-energized. You see, I went to the TV And I started watching the Harry Potter films yet again. Oh, how many times have I done that over 2023? Once, twice, maybe? I'm doing it again. And 20 minutes into The Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah, I feel a bit better. We'll see how it goes, though. Okay, what else? Uh, Not much. I... Have a little confession to make. I've been using the SM58, the Shure SM58 microphone, for ages, and I keep trying every now and then the Shure SM7B. And guess what? Oh God, help me! I'm back on the Shure SM7B. Don't ask. As usual, I've said about a million times, I don't think it's two hundred or so pounds better than the. Sure, some fifty-eight, but it is less clicky. Less clicky means less editing for me. On the other hand, it's also easier, so I don't know. Maybe I'll trade clickiness for smoothness and just make my life a bit easier when it comes to editing. But anyway, yeah, back on that mic. Okay. Today we are talking about the Doctor Who adventure from... from when? Oh boy, hold on a sec. 1983. (laughs) Titled, The King's Demons. Let's start with some production notes. And talk about cast for a moment. The Fifth Doctor is, of course, played by Peter Davison. His companions are Tegan Jovanka, played by Janet Fielding. Vizsla Turlow is played by Mark Strickson. King John and a character called Chameleon are both played by Gerald Flood. He was a prolific star of stage and screen. As far as sci-fi TV and geek genre television goes, he was on a few of the Pathfinders series, something I haven't heard of before or watched. The Champions, which I have seen a few of. Strange Report again, haven't heard of that. Randall and Hopkirk Deceased, the original series, yes. I've seen that, and the new one, quite good. So he was all over the place, and we'll talk about him a bit later as well. The director this time was Tony Virgo, IMDB Says. He was born on the 29th of September 1948 in Harrow, Middlesex. He was a producer and director known for Angels, Emmerdale Farm, EastEnders, and other stuff, and this Doctor Who story as well. Angels, does anyone remember that? That soap about student nurses? I watched that entire series. Really great stuff. Okay, the writer was Terence Dudley. He was a prolific BBC director. As far as Doctor Who goes, he directed Meglos. His production credits include... Doomwatch, which I'd like to see, haven't seen yet. I've seen a bit of Doomwatch, very hoo-ish. Survivors, which was great, I've only seen once, first time round. And almost Blake 7, but he turned it down, oh dear. He was a screenwriter as well, responsible for Doomsday, Black Orchid, The King's Demons, ...and K9 and Company. Producer was John Nathan-Turner. As for locations... ...on location filming was at Bodium Castle... ...East Sussex, a place that I know very, very well. We'll talk about that as well a bit later. And in the studio at BBC Television Centre. According to this, Studio TC1... Shepherd's Bush. And that filming took place in 1982, a year before its broadcast. Broadcast then. This was the finale of season 20. It was serial 6 of season 20 and story 128, following Enlightenment, which I talked about in pod 505. This time we're straying from the usual formula of four 25-minute episodes. Sometimes it was more, especially in the early days, to a much shorter two 25-minute episodes. Well, about 25 minutes. And it was first broadcast from the 15th of March to the 16th of March, 1983. Media. The Target novelization was written by. Uh, sorry, I'm having to squint a bit. Oh, yeah, Terence Dudley in 1986. It came out on VHS videotape along with The Five Doctors in 1995. DVD with Planets of Fire in 2010 on Blu-ray. In The Doctor Who, the collection box set, which also consisted of Arc of Infinity, Snake Dance, Mordron Undead, Terminus, Enlightenment, and The Five Doctors, 20th Anniversary Special in 2023. Okay. Zeitgeist. Uh, Right. (laughs) On the 15th of March, 1983, the UK number one song was Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart. Now, I'm going to get personal here about my childhood and teenage and young adult bedroom. Well, up to teenager. Anyway, when I was an adult, I painted over the walls. But before then, in the 80s, I had either a poster of Bonnie Tyler or Farrah Fawcett. Or both of them from Lookin' Magazine. Do you remember Lookin' Magazine? Can you believe there was a TV magazine for teens back then? I don't know if there is something that uncool now, but there was back then and. I occasionally bought it. Those posters were stuck to my Action Man wallpapered bedroom. There were other posters too. There were lots of posters later on from, or earlier on actually. Yeah, 70s, uh, Blake 7. I was buying the magazines in the late 70s and early 80s. Even before The King's Demons. So I would have had the crew of Blake seven on my bedroom wall. Because back in those days, we took our magazines apart for posters and for free gifts and to join fan clubs. We'd cut them up with scissors and stuff. And no one ever thought about collecting. Or at least I didn't. Not back then. You know, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, yesterday I was reading a Tintin comic, it was hardback, and I was so precious about reading it that I wasn't really enjoying it, I was trying not to bugger up the pages or do anything, and it saps the enjoyment out of stuff. And I do like magazines that have been read before, that feel like they have a bit of history, because they're a little bit rumpled. Or books as well. But when I buy a new book nowadays, I tend to baby it. Which is why I prefer to buy books secondhand. Ah, <laughs> uh, I don't know. We've all become weird, miserly collectors nowadays. Bloody eBay. Okay, I'm going to hopefully roll a clip around this point, and then I'll tell you what happens. Okay, enjoy the clip, if indeed there is one this week. If there isn't, I apologise, but if there is, enjoy it. Do our demons come to visit us? Medieval misfits! I would be honoured if you would allow me to stay. Of course. Doctor... Okay, if there was a clip, I hope that you did enjoy it. Now I'm going to tell you a concise version of what happens in The King's Demons. King John is trying to ring tax to finance his crusade in the Holy Land from Sir Ranulf Fitzwilliam, whose castle he is visiting. Fitzwilliam's honour besmirched, his son Hugh, duels with the king's champion, Sir Gilles Estrem, but is interrupted by the arrival of the TARDIS. When the Doctor and his companions exit the TARDIS, King John warmly welcomes the demons and invites them to a feast at the castle. The Doctor discovers that the date is 12.15, three months before the signing of the Magna Carta. He also discovers, in quite short order, that the King is an imposter. Sir Geoffrey de Lacey, Fitzwilliam's cousin, newly returned from a meeting at the Tower of London with the real King, confirms his suspicions. The Doctor picks a fight with the King's champion and wins... The king's champion, Sir Gilles, is revealed as the master, and escapes to his TARDIS disguised as an Iron Maiden in the dungeon. Thereupon, the Doctor is knighted Sir Doctor, and made the new champion. The Doctor finds the king is really an alien spy robot called Chameleon who the Master discovered and controlled during his banishment to Seraphis, which we talked about in pod 487 when we talked about time flight. The Master plans to use Chameleon to prevent the Magna Carta being signed, stifling any chance of future British democracy, and then he says that his ultimate plan is quote, With Chameleon's unique ability at my command, it's only a matter of time before I undermine the key civilizations of the universe. Chaos will reign, and I shall be its emperor. The Doctor and Master duel psychically for control of Chameleon, and the Doctor wins. The Master defeated, Chameleon joins them, the Doctor and his companions, in the TARDIS. When the Doctor says he is taking Tegan back to Earth, she protests, and instead they set course for the Eye of Orion, said by Turlo to be very beautiful. And that's a potted version of the story. Let's move on to what I thought. The most prominent thing I thought in this was Gerald Flood's portrayal of sadistic King John. It is deliciously evil. I think watching Gerald Flood's performance in this, he would have made a superb master. I'm sorry, Anthony Ainley. It is a testament to Flood's acting ability that he also does such a good job voicing the very different and gentle chameleon robot. Still talking about King John? King John's lute-accompanied ballad, solo, is beautiful sounding, but the words are thoroughly repugnant. I'll repeat them here. They are (laughs) surprisingly horrible. We sing in praise of total war against the Saracen we abhor. To free the tomb of Christ our Lord, we'll put the known world to the sword. I mean, what the hell is wrong with King John? Well, we all know he was a bit of a git, but yeah, he's definitely a git in this, even though he's an imposter, King John. Man, he's horrible. The moment I saw the Iron Maiden... Maiden! Sorry, sorry. <laughs> went a bit heavy metal for a moment. <laughs> I knew that that medieval torture apparatus just had to be the Master's TARDIS. It is just so him, isn't it? So cool. Still talking about the Master. The Master disguised as the King's champion, Sir Gilles, is pretty appalling. It looks like his face is peeling off. (laughs) I mean, it does quite well disguise Anthony Ainley until the camera does close-ups. But, man, didn't their budget even stretch to doing good face makeup. (laughs) He's peeling and he's got this wig. The wig's not too bad, but the face and lumpiness and powderiness. Maybe it looked better back then because we had much lower definition tellies, but now on a normal 1080p, oh, it's not good. (laughs) There is a sword fight between Peter Davidson and Anthony Ainley. It is a replay of the John Pertwee and Roger Delgado duel in The Sea Devils, which we talked about in pod 273. Itself, of course, based on Errol Flynn and Basil Rathbone's epic fight in The Adventures of Robin Hood from 1938, which probably every human being on the face of the planet has seen. I'd be highly surprised if someone hasn't. Maybe it's an age thing, because I suppose nowadays you'd have to seek it out. And back when I was a child, these kind of films were on every Sunday afternoon. We'd watch them with dinner and after dinner. And I've seen this film loads of times. Yeah, good sword fight. It was a nice little... Echo of past times. Although I will say that Davidson and Ainley do not come really that close to John Pertwin, Roger Delgado, and Swordsmanship. It's a lot more clunky and deliberate. It's not as flowing. Or maybe they just were more safety conscious. (laughs) And being a lot less cavalier than Pertwee and Delgado. Who did uh, do stuff in that duel that wasn't approved of. I talked about that back in 273. Now that we've talked about a duel, I've got to trot out this thing that I have said maybe a dozen times, one of these bays, the other guy who was involved in the story will hear this podcast and I'll be in hot water. Okay, here goes. Did I tell you I once challenged a man to a duel? Yes, you've probably heard that before. Ask me in person. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with me? Okay. We talked about one battle between the Doctor and the Master, a physical battle. The Doctor also engages the Master in a scanner battle over the control of Chameleon. They both face each other and furrow their brows. Very scanners. No one's head explodes. When the Doctor beats Sir Gilles in single combat earlier on, The king knights the doctor. While the doctor is being knighted, I did notice that he's still wearing his awful cricket jumper under the medieval costume. What's that about? Didn't they have enough time to properly change costumes? I don't know. Conclusion then. It was a short and to the point, to the sword point. Did you see what I did? Adventure, and I enjoyed it. That is, despite it being one of those loosely historical Doctor Who edutainments that I'm not overly fond of. I mean, I like the Doctor going back in time and doing adventurous stuff, but... There tends to be not that much science fiction in those, but this one had enough. And it was only two episodes. So it went by pretty quickly without much padding. Though there was some padding, I didn't really go into that in my thoughts. But there was a bit of running around, a bit of turlo. Getting captured and locked up in the dungeon, <laughs> poor old Turlo. He's always being chained or threatened or prodded. What is that about? As well as the good pace and impressive acting from Gerald Flood, the other thing that really, really impressed me was the chameleon prop. I wasn't sure if The way they achieved that was just a skinny suit actor and pretty damn good creature design. I thought that until I saw that the arms were definitely mechanical. And then I thought, blimey, that's a really good robot for (laughs) Doctor Who 80s budget. It is such a pity that the tech wasn't up to snuff to make the creature walk. That would have been something. We will talk about that a little more in the trivia. Let us move on to the trivia then. We'll talk about the robot after this first bit though. The filming location of Bodium Castle. I have something to say about that. Okay, First of all, Bodium Castle, built around 1385 by Sir Edward Darlingridge. That castle was my favourite family day-trip destination as a child. We have visited that place frequently. We picnic there as well. My favourite photograph of my mother was taken there in the 1970s with a cracked Kodak Brownie 127 that leaked light and was badly patched with a sticking plaster. The reason I mentioned that bit of seemingly trivial detail is the photograph is overexposed and weird and dreamy. I've said before that if I ever released an album, (laughs) it would be, I don't know, gothy, electronic, doom rock type of thing going on. And that photograph would be perfect for that kind of album. And yeah, that's where they filmed it. Because that photograph is one that I really like. And you can see the filming location and the moat. But I've included it in the show notes so you can have a look at it. Okay, on from Bodium Castle and back to Chameleon. I don't remember Chameleon at all from watching this the first time around. I certainly don't remember him as a companion, but the creature design is fantastic. It's absolutely superb, as is Gerald Flood's voice acting. I did dig into this a little more, but as you know, I'm more a fan of the stories and the characters than I am of production and finance and all that stuff. But I have dug into this a little bit. Admittedly, I lost interest halfway through the article about an Extras DVD describing its origin. But here's the Cliff Notes version. In brief, JNT wanted a robot after the K9 and company debacle. That was an attempt to spin off K-9 into his own series. It only got as far as a pilot. It was a complete disaster. So JNT wanted another robot on the show. It's weird. He took all that time and effort to killing K-9 and then spinning off this crap pilot. And now he wants a robot back again. Mm. (laughs) Hmm. Strange... Behaviour, JNT. But anyway, a chap called Richard Gregory, who ran an effects company called Imagineering, had previously worked on a few Doctor Who stories. He got in touch with JNT about a robot made by visual effects guy Chris Padmore, and his software colleague, a man called Mike Power. They ran a company called CP Cybernetics. Sounds really cool. JNT and script editor Eric Sword were demoed the robot, and they were impressed enough to decide to test it out as a possible companion. Unfortunately, Mike Power, the software guy, died in a sailing accident. This brings us back to some kind of boating link. Captain Roy. Okay. After The King's Demons, Chameleon made a few appearances before being phased out. I mean, he also either appeared or was referenced in New Who. Can't remember. Is it Day of the Doctor? not important. He didn't last long as a companion, which I thought was a busy. He is certainly cooler than K-9. I mean, K-9 is adorable, but, you know, kind of detracts from horror sci-fi, which is definitely what Doctor Who is. I know it's a kid's program, but there are kid horror films. Chameleon... Although he seems gentle and harmless, he can be influenced to play a complete rotter like King John, and there is something ambiguous about his voice. Could be good, could be bad. And the design of the robot itself looks male, but it's got a bit of a Metropolis vibe there, too. And I don't know, it was an interesting robot. I definitely recommend that you go and see The King's Demons if you haven't already seen it, but I'm guessing you have because you're listening to this and you're probably a Hoovian. A rabid Hoovian. A Hoovian rabidus. No, that's fake Latin. <laughs> okay, that is it for my revisit of The King's Demon from 1983. Next up, ...on the podcast, I honestly can't remember. I can't remember what's next. So, zero stuff for the after show... ...today. I do hope you enjoyed the revisit. And now... ...you're going to hear my extremely, even briefer than last time... ...goodbye bit that I do. If you heard at the top of the show, that was quite a brief introduction... Much briefer than it used to be. Are you prepared for an even shorter than the shortened goodbye that I did last time? Okay, here we go. You can find me at RoyMator.com. Please review, rate, support, and recommend the show to a friend or mortal enemy. The time at the end of the show is... 0036 55 Thanks for listening... And bye-bye for now. Bye.